You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Welcome back to Attaboy Clarence as I run around your ears from left to right and left to right. And now I'm pooped. So I'm going to sit in my chair and do my thing, if you don't mind. Do you mind? I don't mind. Oh, hi, Suki. It's been a while since we last met. How are you? No, it hasn't. We live in the same house. Right, yeah. And you know how I am. Yes, I know how you are. You told me off ten minutes ago for licking my pink bitch in front of the kids. Yes, yes, I know. But when you are making a podcast with another person, you always have to begin the thing by asking how the other person is. Why? Uh, I, I don't know. It's kind of an unwritten rule. But surely the other person hasn't just turned up to the podcast as it started. You had to phone them up on the computer and say hello. So why didn't you ask them how they were doing when they answered instead of wasting people's time listening to you asking how the other person is at the fake beginning? Chill out, would you? I can't help it. I'm very hungry. I'll feed you after the show. I'm a bit busy at the moment, though. In that case, I will have to eat my vagina. Because it tastes like biscuits. Okay, here I go. Okay, I'm just going to close the door now. Hey, do you remember this slice of rock action from the last show? Well, apart from the 15 gazillion emails I got about how much you liked that song, this happened. Welcome back, dear listeners, to the second hour of the Big Chaps Box of Delights here on Coast and County Radio. You've just heard the first of three 70s rock tracks. That was UFO from their album Lights Out from 1977 with Love to Love. The next track I'm going to play is a bit of an unusual one. I'm an avid listener to a couple of podcasts that are aimed at classic movie lovers. One's called Secret History of Hollywood and it's like extensive documentary audiobooks. There's been Warner Brothers and Jimmy Cagney. There's been a Hitchcock one. And the other podcast is Attaboy Clarence, which features classic movie reviews and one old-time radio show, which is usually connected to one of the films that have been reviewed. You can find more about them at attaboyclarence.com. Now, these are written produced, narrated by a top bloke called Adam Roach and he's got an even more soothing voice than me. It's a bit more received pronunciation than I am. In a recent show, he played a track from the 1970s written and performed by his dad's band. It transported me back to my youth and I thought, I'll give this a play in the Big Chaps Box of Delights. See what you think. It features John Roach on keyboards and vocals, Graham Careless on guitar and lead vocals, and I'm told that they are still best friends after all these years and will be tuned in to the show tonight. So, this is Brave Men with a track called Hollywood. Hollywood. 
Yes, brave men are now the toast of Radioland, having featured on Coast and County Radio here in the UK on a show hosted by the very lovely Mr. Gordon Tennant. Gordon, you are extremely kind to play the song on your show. Thank you so much. I told my dad it was going to happen, and he and his old bandmates all crowded around the wireless on Saturday night to hear the song they made all those years ago, played to the world at large. And I can quite honestly say that they are all walking on cloud nine. So along with all the compliments and well wishes you guys sent along to brave men, they are now radio stars. Who'd have thunk it? As a special bonus to patrons, I have given two more tracks by Brave Men on a recent patron post. So if you're signed up, then rush on over and get your ballad on. Look, Ram called Coney Island Penny Machine. What a prize! Let's go in. Look at the wonderful prizes you can win. I'm going to win a watch for you. A penny in the slot, and look at the prizes go round and round. Bracelets, wrinkles, harmonicas. This lever moves the bucket from side to side. This lever moves the bucket up and down. Here goes. You've almost got the watch. You've got it. Kids, this is a toy you've got to have. Remco's Coney Island Penny Machine. Only $12.98 at your favorite toy store. It comes complete with a giant bag of wonderful toy prizes. Remember, every boy wants a Remco toy. Nice little sexist ending there. Now I go cleaning windows to earn an honest bob. For a nosy parker, it's an interesting job. Now it's a job that just suits me A window cleaner you would be If you can see what I can see When I'm cleaning windows Honeymooning couples too You should see them bill and coo You'd be surprised at things they do When I'm cleaning windows In my profession I'll work hard but I'll never stop I'll climb this blinking ladder Till I get right to the top The blushing bride She looks divine The bridegroom he is doing fine I'd rather have his job than mine When I'm cleaning windows the chambermaid, sweet names I call It's a wonder I don't fall My mind's not on my work at all When I'm cleaning windows I know a fella such a swell He has a thirst that's plain to tell I've seen him drink his bath as well When I'm cleaning windows Oh, in my profession I'll work hard, but I'll never stop I'll climb this blinking ladder Till I get right to the top Pajamas lying side by side Ladies' night as I have spied I've often seen what goes inside When I'm cleaning windows A 
famous talkie queen She looks a flapper on the screen She's more like 80 than 18 When I'm cleaning windows She pulls her hair all down behind Then pulls down her never mind And after that pulls down the blind When I'm cleaning windows In my profession I'll work hard but I'll never stop I'll climb this blinking ladder Till I get right to the top An old maid walks around the floor She's so fed up one day I'm sure she'll drag me in and lock the door When I'm cleaning windows When I'm cleaning windows Lovely slice of George Formby there, ringing every note from his banjolelli. A very sprightly beginning to a very packed show, I have to say. I'm going to thunder on into a movie review, because I have so much I need to tell you about today. Zip on over here to 1957, a little later than I usually veer towards for my films, but the chance to revisit one of the most romantic movies of all time is far too great. Want a clue? Cary Grant, Deborah Carr, Empire State Building. Do I need to say any more than that? A love affair is a wondrous thing that we'll rejoice in Of course, this is an affair to remember, a film that you have no doubt already seen, and if you haven't actually seen it, then you will be very familiar with it, as it's pretty much the pop culture touchstone for classic romance movies. But what the hell, we're going there today because I absolutely adore this movie. Even though it is one of the most overly sentimental, excessively romantic films I've ever seen. The story opens on a steamship carrying among its passengers Terry McKay, played by Deborah Carr, a nightclub singer who's engaged to a wealthy New York businessman, and Nikki Ferranti, played by Cary Grant, a world-renowned playboy and philanderer who's returning to New York to marry a wealthy heiress. Say, here's good news for you bachelors. Competition for pretty girls will definitely be easier now that Nikki Ferranti, the big dame hunter, is going out of circulation. Yes, it'll be wedding bells for him at long last. Mr. Ferranti is sailing today from Europe, and Miss Lois Clark will be waiting for him at the gangplank in New York. Lois and her lovely 600 million bucks. What a deal. Not only all that lettuce, but a beautiful tomato, too. Wow. But just as both of these strangers are about to embark on their permanent futures, they happen into one another on board this steamship and fall instantly in love. Well, uh, where were we? Uh, well, I was about to tell you where I was born. And, um, I was born in Boston. Oh, I can hardly wait for you to grow up. Well, be patient. I grew up quickly. Then I went to New York and I got a job singing in a nightclub from 10 to 3 in the morning. And the manager used to chase me around the office until about 4 and then I went home. Did he ever... Uh... Oh, no. No, no. Well, then one evening he came along. Uh, this is the fellow. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, uh, well, you don't belong in a place like this. Really? Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, I don't. <laughs> And uh, 
Well, then, hmm? What? What, what? Uh, I don't know. I thought you said something. No, I didn't oh, say anything. I'm sorry. But you're right, you know. <laughs> The first half of the film is the story of this affair as it grows from cautious flirtation to full-on love as they seek to avoid being spotted together in case they become the subject of gossip, but actually doing more to attract attention to themselves than deflect it. Why did you come here? You know it's dangerous. Charlie, we've got a lot to talk about. I am aware of that, but to be seen together could be disastrous for us both. I know, but we have some fast thinking to do. We've created a problem. Yes, I know. So... That's not complicated anymore. Being a woman, I'm naturally more cautious, and I can think more clearly when you're not around. So you you go think in your room, and I'll think in mine. Uh, while we miss each other. Oh, that was very sweet, what you just said. It's punctuated by a scene in Villefranche-sur-Mer where Nicky stops off to visit his grandmother and takes Terry with him, a scene that I will come back to later, but which really marks the beginning of their true feelings for one another. By the time the ship reaches New York, they have both decided that their futures lie with each other, but there are, of course, obstacles to overcome and relationships to dissolve before they can be together. There's also the matter of income. What will they live on? For years, Nicky has been living on the fortunes of the heiresses he'd been romancing. He is, however, a very talented painter and promises that he'll establish an income through his art before he marries Terry. For Terry's part, she's been a kept woman and so must venture back into clubland to scratch out a new career for herself as a singer. They make a promise to each other on the deck that they will break with their respective pasts and carve out their new futures, arranging to meet up in six months to begin their new life together. Now listen carefully. Yes. If everything goes right, and yes. I mean for both of us, in six months, here, I started to write it out. Should I read it now? Mm -hmm. All right. Darling, that's me? Mm -hmm. You have a date, my beloved, July the 1st at five o'clock. But you don't say where. Well, you name the place and I'll obey. I don't know, I can't think. How about the top of the Empire State Building? Oh, yes, that's perfect. It's the nearest thing to heaven we have in New All York. Right. The 102nd floor. And don't forget to take the elevator. <laughs> no, I won't. Darling, if things don't work out... Don't talk like that. I'm not listening. But just in case one of we'll us is... We'll both be there. Hold the thought. Hold the thought. Take care. Take care. I can't tell you what comes next. I would love to. I would love to discuss it for another hour, but I can't guarantee that you will have seen this film, although many of you probably have. The thing is, if you have seen it, you will be hopping up and down right now and saying, don't say any more. And you are exactly right, because if you don't know what is coming, then this film will completely destroy you emotionally and you deserve to experience every last agonizingly beautiful moment. I can, however, talk about the stuff that's come before, such as the quite remarkable scene at Nikki's grandmother's house, which for my money is unforgettable. It's, it's funny really because while it's playing, it doesn't seem that important. It's just two people visiting an old lady and spending a quiet afternoon with her but there is something so beautifully honest about it, about the way that this simple afternoon visit 
changes the shape of the whole story. This is Marie. Well, hello. C'est la dernière? Uh, oui, c'est la plus jeune. Mm, combien maintenant? Uh, sept. Depuis que vous êtes parti, ça fait trois. <laughs> this is my friend Marius. Oh, madame. Hello. Marius has three children since I last saw him. Marius says France needs men, so he has seven daughters. <laughs> <laughs> Up until this point, it has been the classic, wise-cracking flirtation that Hollywood does so well. Cary Grant is very much Cary Grant, very suave, very dashing, very dinner suits and cocktails. Deborah Carr, similarly, firing back his flirty lines with a wicked smile. It's very glamorous, very charming. But when they arrive at Nikki's grandmother's house, something changes. They both relax their guards. Nikki is almost goofy as he hugs his grandmother and cuddles the family dog. It's as though his soul is being fed with joy. He is no longer the gossip magazine playboy, but someone's grandson, someone warm and human. And as this side emerges, Terry falls hopelessly in love with it. And isn't that really the essence of any love story, fictional or not? There's always this period of thawing between any two people when they meet and start to fall for each other. You dance around each other, unsure of whether this person is the right one or not, until one of you dares to let down the guard for a moment and exposes their true self. It is that moment that generally defines whether or not love will grow. Some turn and run at that point, but some drop anchor and cling on tight. And you see that happen here. Literally, Terry's eyes begin to shine. Nikki, I... I want to thank you for the... the loveliest and the most memorable day I've ever known. You were very sweet to my little grandmother. I'm going to write to her. That'll be nice. Let's walk, hmm? There's also a callback to this scene later in the film, which I can't really talk about now, but is one of the most poignant, haunting scenes I've ever seen. The magical thing about it is that it's almost dialogue-free, and I have to say, I know that Cary Grant was a very talented man, obviously, but I think people tend to sometimes focus too much on his image, and not so much on the fact that he was an incredible actor. In this scene, the second visit to his grandmother's house, shall we say, he is simply breathtaking. He does nothing more than walk around a room, but every single movement is measured and calculated to maximize the emotional display. I would have said that he was never better, but this scene is beaten only by his performance in the final scene in the movie, which, even thinking about it now brings me to tears. He is incredible in this film. I think it's very easy to be cynical about a film that wears its heart so prominently on its sleeve, but turn down the dial on your derisive instincts. Grab a tub of ice cream, because this film demands ice cream, and a bottle of wine and allow yourself to be swept away by a movie that is rightfully regarded as one of the most romantic films ever made. And there you go, I've just used the most romantic review ever. <laughs> Sorry. Oh.
Well, this week's edition of Who the Hell is That Hollywood Legend is a very short and sweet affair. The panel will get it almost immediately, but I suspect that you will too, because the voice is so distinctive, even though the mystery guest does his or her best to conceal it. See if you can guess it as fast as the panel do as we play another lightning-fast round of Who the Hell is That Hollywood Legend. And now we come to the special feature of our program, the appearance of our mystery challenger... And the panel is always blindfolded at this time. Are those blindfolds in place, panel? Yes, John. Good. Will you enter Mystery Challenger and sign in, please? As you know, in the case of our Mystery Challenger, one question at a time, in turn, moving clockwise. And let's begin with um, Bennett Surf. Well, that was the spectacular ovation that you received, Mr. Mister or Miss Mystery Guest. Uh, would it be possibly because you had made a great name for yourself in motion pictures? Yes. Miss Kilgallen? Uh, are you a blonde? Yes. Mr. Linkletter? Do you have a new picture just out? Yes. Miss Francis? Oh, well, uh... <laughs> Boy, try to fake that voice. It's the most impersonated voice in America. Uh, Have you just done a picture with a vis-a-vis who is also a big name in the picture business? Yes! (laughs) Would the vis-a-vis be a lady who has also been a mystery guest here within the past month named Miss Joan Crawford? Yes! And we'll cut it out there. I'm sure that you've got your answer all primed and ready to fire, but hold on to it for now and we'll see if you're right later on in the show. Ooh, Judy Garland, yes, please. Somewhere over the rainbow, way up high, there's a land that I heard of once in a lullaby. Somewhere over the upon a star and wake up where the clouds are far behind me where troubles melt like lemon drops away above the chimney tops that's where you find me
happy little bluebirds fly beyond the rainbow. Why, oh, why can't I? And that was the incomparable Judy Garland with Over the Rainbow. Gorgeous. Question time then. Maybe you have a question. Well, throw it into the question pot. Strangely, there is no next line. Well, maybe I'll read your question out on the show, or maybe not. Now, here's someone with a handbell. The first question today is from John Tenney. Not just any John Tenney, but John Tenney, the paranormal investigator the remarkably famous paranormal investigator and a thoroughly nice chap who's been very active in his support of these podcasts on his Twitter feed. So firstly, thank you, John. And secondly, if you have any inclinations towards paranormal things, I highly recommend you scoot on over to weirdlectures.com and associate yourselves with Mr. Tenney's work. As for a question, John has asked, Adam, who's your favourite film psychic? Like Turhan Bay? Claude Rains or Gerald Moore as Zodiac in Charlie Chan in Treasure Island? Good question. I'm very fond of old Zodiac from Charlie Chan. Incidentally, a superb film with a very neat twist. I'll tell you what, though. I will go for Edward G. Robinson in Night Has a Thousand Eyes, which is stupendously good, and which I reviewed all the way back in episode three, I think it was. I'll tell you what, how about Raymond Land in X, the man with the X-ray eyes as well? I mean, he's kind of psychic in that he can see through the fabric of space and... No, actually, he's not psychic, is he? Oh, well. Next question is from Neil Thorson, who writes, In listing the best films of William Powell a few weeks ago, you left his very best film off, Love Crazy from 1941 with Myrna Loy and a bevy of late-thirties character actors. My only hope is that you've just not seen it. Love your podcast and look forward to many more. Well, Neil, I have actually seen Love Crazy, and it is very fun, but let's be honest, I might as well have just recommended every film William Powell ever made, because he so very rarely turned in a bad one. My little top five in no way represents the only decent films he ever made, just a scattering of good places to start. And thank you for the compliment. Many more shows on the way, I assure you, sir. A question here from David Phillips, who writes... Really digging your series on Val Luton for the secret history of Hollywood, although I do miss the longer shows. Any plans to bring them back? David, yes, absolutely. This was a creative choice I made during the writing process. It just made sense to do this series in shorter segments because each episode could focus on one film and also on the folk story that inspired it, which of course Mark Gatiss very kindly agreed to read at the beginning of each episode. I love doing the longer ones and can tell you that the next series will be in huge parts, perhaps longer than anything I've ever done before. So yes, definitely, definitely, the longer ones are coming back. The final question for today comes from Mr. Bagwant Sagu, who asks, Adam, perhaps you covered him and I missed it, but I think you'd be great at revisiting the career of Edgar Ulmer, of Ruthless and Detour fame. In some ways, he reminds me of Val Luton. Bagwant, I have covered him, yes, although I did so in one of the bonus patron shows. It was in bonus patron episode number seven, and I talked about him at length. I love his story. I kind of covered it in a universe of horrors too, but I went into more depth in the patron show. For those of you who aren't familiar with him, he was literally a man who gave up his career for love. 
He fell for the wife of his boss's nephew and was forced to choose between his career or his heart, and chose the latter. He ended up scratching out a living at the low-rent Poverty Row Studios, where his considerable talents as a director led to some true classics of B-movie cinema. Fascinating guy. Anyway, if you would like to throw a question into the question pot, then go to attaboyclarence.com and scroll down the homepage to the pot itself. I thank you. So throw your flipping questions into the shiny question pot. You might hear your question next time. So until then, get your thinking cap on for the question pot. Okay, that's the end. When you wish upon a star Makes no difference who you are Anything your heart desires Will come to you If your heart is in your dream No request is too extreme When you wish upon a star As dreamers do Fate is kind She brings to those who love The sweet fulfillment of Their secret longing Like a bolt out of the blue Suddenly it comes in view When you wish upon a star Your dreams come true When a star is born They possess a gift or two One of them is this They have the power To make a wish come And that was the rather wonderful Cliff Edwards with When You Wish Upon a Star, of course, from Pinocchio, my personal favourite Disney movie. Well, before I tell you about another movie, it's my absolute honour to tell you about something superb that happened to me last week. 
I was given the honour of being invited onto the 60 Minutes With podcast to talk to the lovely Tina and Chris about all things podcasting. It's a great show and the hosts are seriously delightful people, even if I do sound rather incoherent at times. I thoroughly recommend that you rush on over and download it. I'll put a link in the show notes. Or you can search for 60 Minutes With in your podcatchers of choice. And don't just listen to my episode. Listen to interviews with the likes of Kate Dickey from Game of Thrones and The Witch. And the director John Walsh, who's now heading up the Ray Harryhausen Foundation. I keep very lofty company these days, you see. No, you don't. On to another movie then, another slice of Cary Grant brilliance, this time teaming him up with Myrna Loy and Shirley Temple, along with a stellar supporting cast that includes Rudy Valley, Ray Collins, Harry Davenport, and the great Lillian Randolph in 1947's The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer. Margaret, you know the case you were trying? The old man who ran away with a 16-year-old girl? Yes. What did you give him? Three years. That'll cost me three dollars. I always bet that you won't sentence people. That's ridiculous. How have you been doing? You've cost me a fortune. If you're interested in a more exact science, you might spend some time on geometry. I don't consider geometry a part of life. Mr. Roberts does. He says you're the first student he's ever had who defined a triangle as two women crazy about one man. So the story here follows two sisters, the older of the two, is Margaret Turner, played by Myrna Loy, a high court judge whose icy veneer is famous. The younger of the two is Susan Turner, played by Shirley Temple, a high school student looking for her place in the world. Enter Richard Nugent, played by Cary Grant, an artist with a knack for causing trouble, and who begins the film by being tried in court by Margaret after causing a fight at a nightclub. Anyone who says he remembers a fight punch for punch is lying. I don't remember. Your Honor, Mr. Nugent has been in a couple of escapades before, but believe me, never through any fault of his own. The fact that he is an artist and a painter of contemporary American life often places him in circumstances that may appear unusual. Mm -hmm. There's no reason why this court should give Mr. Nugent special privileges just because he's an artist. It's obviously a fight in which everyone participated. Everyone is equally guilty and everyone is equally innocent. I suggest that you all go home and nurse your wounds and be a little less emotional in the future. Thank you, Your Honor. May I go now? You just got here. Don't you like our court? Oh, sure, I like it fine, only uh, I'm due to give a, a lecture today. Really? What are you lecturing on? America, as I see it. It should be very interesting. It just so happens that Nugent is the latest in a string of guest speakers at Susan's High School, where he's been asked to talk to the students about art. Susan is instantly smitten with him and decides that the much older Nugent is the man that she's going to marry. By a series of contrivances, Nugent finds himself blackmailed by Margaret and her wily uncle into dating Susan on a regular basis. Their theory is that if Susan sees Nugent for the rascal he is, her crush on him will be extinguished. But what will happen when Susan's crush doesn't die off? And when Margaret finds herself falling for Nugent. I'm going to get out of here, so am I. No, no, wait a minute. Sorry. I've had enough of this, and I've had enough of you. Everywhere you go, you attract trouble. Well, you go jumping again. Shut up! Thank you for a lovely evening. Well, thank you. Thank you. Incredibly, this was the screenwriting debut of Sidney Sheldon, the novelist who, after a few stage hits, was brought to Hollywood and asked to write a movie. This was what he wrote, and it of course launched his career in all sorts of ways. He went on to create television shows such as I Dream of Genie and Heart to Heart, and then 
he wrote best-selling novels such as Master of the Game and Rage of Angels. To this day, Sidney Sheldon is the seventh best-selling writer of all time. He sold more books than Enid Blyton and J.K. Rowling and Dr. Seuss. 600 million books sold. Some way to go to take the top spot on that list, though, which belongs to Agatha Christie with 4 billion books sold. Anyway, The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer, which is one of those sparkling comedies that arrived in the late 40s, just as America was transitioning between that 40s golden period of post-war rebuilding and the chewing gum and the brill cream of the 50s. And you can see that transition all the way through this film, especially in the school scenes, which look as though they've been ripped out of Greece. All the boys have those rocker hairstyles and all the girls are wearing sweaters and pedal pushes. Into this blend you have the hallowed figures of Myrna Loy and Cary Grant, still both exuding that golden age glamour, but somehow fitting right into what was then a modern time. The story itself is very contrived, you really do have to take some leaps in terms of believability, but this is a fantasy at the end of the day, so you really just have to go with it. Despite the premise, it never feels uncomfortable. Grant never comes across as a dirty old geezer, <laughs> even though he's being asked to act like one. He is class all the way, so if you're reading the synopsis and wondering how they got away with it, you needn't worry. It's also a very funny film, especially during the picnic scene where Grant has to win the sporting events, and he's being helped by Susan and her high school admirers, and there's a great scene where Grant has to try to impress the grumpy grandfather of the family and takes the opportunity to do just the opposite. Oh, that must be Richard Nugent. And who the devil is Richard Nugent? Uh, he's older. He's come to take Susan to the picnic. I think you'll like him. How in blazes do you know? I haven't seen him yet. Hi, Malagrini, Shookie Doogie. Dickie. Ready, Poop? Let's scoot. Wait. Wait. Hey, you remind me of a man. What man? The man with the power. What power? The power of hoodoo. Hoodoo? You do. Do what? Remind me of a man. What man? The man with the power. What Good morning. Power of, hmm? Greetings, greetings. Are you out of your mind? Uh, what, what? What are you trying to do? I don't dig you, chick. What are you whispering about? May I present my great uncle, Judge Turner? How do you do? You judge? Uh, oh, this isn't a pump handle. He's sharp. Hey, you remind me of a man. What man? The man with the power. What power? The power of hoodoo. Hoodoo? You do. Do what? Remind me of a man. Remind you all. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Where do I know that from? Allow me to enlighten you. You remind me of the babe. What babe? Babe with the power. Power of voodoo. Voodoo. You do. Do what? Remind me of the babe. I saw my baby. Classic. Anyway, if you're a Cary Grant fan, a Myrna Loy fan, or merely a fan of golden age comedies that leave an amber glow on your face throughout the running time, do check out The Bachelor and The Bobby Soxer. It's a little gem. In fact, it's such a good time that I thought you might like an audio version. Now, the Screen Guild Theatre's version had Cary Grant, Myrna Loy, and Shirley Temple in their original roles, but that version was shortened so much for the air that it really loses much of what made it such a charming film in the first place. So I'm going to give you the Lux Radio Theatre version, which still stars Cary Grant and Shirley Temple, but unfortunately doesn't star Myrna Loy. However, it is a very good adaptation and lots of fun, so prepare for a charm offensive as we join the Lux Radio Theatre for their version of The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer. I'll see you later on. Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, bring you the Lux Radio Theatre, starring Cary Grant and Shirley Temple in The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeley.
Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, we welcome back to the Lux Radio Theater a man whom I consider one of America's truly great screen stars, Cary Grant. With Cary is a young lady who long ago captured the heart of America and has held it ever since, Shirley Temple. Together, they bring us RKO's sparkling romantic comedy, The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer, with Cary as the gay man about town and Shirley as the adoring Bobby Soxer. The same delightful performances that made the picture a hit. You know, the Bobby Soxer has introduced some fascinating additions to the American language and mode of dress. But I understand she's still old-fashioned enough to want a lovely Lux complexion. So she takes a lesson from her mother and the screen stars and lets Lux Toilet Soap help out on the beauty front. Now I'd like to have you meet The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer, starring Cary Grant as Richard Nugent and Shirley Temple as Susan, with Frances Robinson as Margaret. Years ago, a sympathetic neighbor described the Turner girls as those poor little lonely orphans. Since then, the neighbors changed her mind. True, the Turner girls are still orphans, but they don't need anybody's sympathy. There's Susan the Bobby Soxer, 17 years old, editor of the high school paper and swamped with boyfriends. And then there's Margaret, Margaret the lady lawyer, who is now Judge Turner, presiding in dignity over the city's municipal court. Right now, the Turner girls are at breakfast. So it's very important that I know, Margaret. Know what? That case in court. The man who ran away with a 16-year-old girl. What kind of a sentence did you give him? Three years. Oh, fine. That cost me two dollars. I always bet that you won't sentence people. If you'd spend a little more time on geometry and less... I don't consider geometry a part of life. Well, your teacher does. You're the first student he's ever had who defined a triangle as two women crazy over one man. Mr. Roberts is definitely decadent. Uh, Margaret, dear. How much this time? Only two dollars. But no more betting. No, Margaret. And thank you very much. I often wonder why you're so good to me. Well, you know, I die for you. Only sometimes it's very hard living with you. Well, who comes up in court this morning? Oh, nothing very exciting. Some people mixed up in a nightclub brawl. When Tommy Chamberlain phoned me about Are it Are you morning... going to marry Tommy? After all, he's the assistant district attorney, and I think that... The call of the wild. I gotta go. Who's calling for you this morning? Sounds like Jerry. But you haven't eaten your breakfast. I'll take the two dollars out of your purse, Margaret. Bye. All right, Mr. Chamberlain. If you'll tell the court just what Richard Nugent did. Well, Your Honor... The police picked him up in the Vampire Nightclub, a riot call. Nugent was at the bottom of all the trouble. Which of you is Richard Nugent? Uh, Mr. Nugent isn't here, Your Honor. I am his attorney. Not here? He, uh, he's out on bail. Well, if Mr. Nugent doesn't show up within the next 60 seconds, I'll issue a bench warrant for his arrest. Meanwhile, I'd like to hear from the witnesses. Your name, Miss... Uh, Miss Agnes Prescott. I'm an entertainer at the Vampire Club. I have known Mr. Nugent for some time. He's an artist, oh, he paints lovely pictures. He once painted me. He painted me, too. Well, last night, as Mr. Nugent and I was having a few words at his table, we was accosted by this here lady. A harsh words was exchanged, and Mr. Nugent came to my rescue. I knew him first. You're the one who was buttoning in. Ladies, please. Uh, Your Honor... 
Yes, Mr. Chamberlain. This is the third occasion in which Richard Nugent has been involved in a public disturbance, and I would suggest Your Honor, that... I see that my client has just arrived. Good morning, Walter. Good morning. Oh, good morning, Agnes. Hi, Lawrence. Dickie. Morning, Dick. You're Richard Nugent? Uh, oh, Your Honor? Hmm, I'm frankly and honestly delighted. Oh. Is it all right if we go ahead now? Yeah, I'm terribly sorry, but I... Uh... Yes, Mr. Nugent, this court works on schedule. Nine o'clock means nine o'clock. Yes, sir. I mean, uh, yes, Your Honor. You were at the Vampire Club last night. Uh, yes, yes, I was. I I'm doing a series of paintings on Americana, and I'm including a nightclub scene. Creating a nightclub scene would seem more appropriate. Well, how did the fight start? Well, uh, uh, Agnes had finished her spot. Uh, that's a theatrical term, Your Honor. It means her performance, her act. Thank you. Uh, well, we were having a drink with Florence. And Florence, that's, uh, that's Florence over there. Oh, we've met. Oh, well, she came over to the table. Yeah, Miss Cartwright Canary apparently resented my appearance. Well, naturally, my escort was very much I what I prefer to hear Mr. Nugent's version. Ah, thank you. Well, uh, Florence's escort, Joey, appeared. He objected to Florence coming to my table. One thing led to another. Joey slapped Florence, and uh, I slapped Joey. He was only defending American womanhood, Your Honor. Get that, Dame. <clears throat> well... <laughs> Uh, anyway, Agnes scratched Florence, and Florence scratched Agnes, and, uh, well, uh, anyone who says he remembers a fight punch for punch is lying. Uh, I don't remember. Your Honor, the district attorney's office would like this man held over for trial. Oh, I see no reason for that, Mr. Chamberlain. Obviously, it was a fight in which everyone participated. Everyone is equally guilty or innocent. I suggest that you all go home now and be a little less emotional in the future. Thank you, Your Honor. Oh, one moment. You just got here. Don't you like our court? Oh, I like it fine, only I'm due to give a lecture this morning. Really? What are you lecturing on? America, as an artist sees it. Just remember, Mr. Nugent, if you're brought before this court again, you won't be dealt with so leniently. Case dismissed. Uh, uh, Your Honor... For heaven's sake, don't press your luck. And telling her you're going to deliver a lecture. But I am. Where? Uh, a bunch of kids at the high school. Uh, much obliged, Walters. <laughs> I wish we didn't have to sit here, Jerry. I hate lectures. Me too. But what about Saturday night? She promised, Susan. Promises are the hollow shells of undone deeds. Oh, for guy's sakes. You're a nice boy, Jerry, but you're callow. Huh. The only reason I'm not good enough for you is because you're looking for a for knight in shining armor, that's what. I'm competing with some with something medieval on a horse. Oh, don't be a stoop. And please be quiet. Mr. Mitwick's coming out on the stage. The students, our school is honored in having as guest lecturer... A famous artist who will speak to us about the classical traditions of painting. I know you will express your enthusiasm for his appearance here today, and so, uh, without further ado, Mr. Richard Nugent. <laughs> this way, Mr. Nugent. Uh, uh, thank you, thank you. Oh, I suppose so. For an older man. Student, thank you. you. You know, a lot of people think of art as something pretty stuffy. <clears throat> I beg your pardon. Don't let them kid you. True art has something to say to everyone. It unites the masses in every age, in every country. And the essence of art is simplicity. Now, for instance, if I wanted to capture the feeling of America today, I'd try to... And that's about it, my friends. 
Just remember that art is a part of freedom, of tolerance, of opportunity. And if I were going to do a portrait of one of you, I'd try to convey all that in it. Thank you. You sick or something? Keep quiet. Mr. Nugent, Mr. Nugent, my name is Susan Turner. I'm a student here. No. Yes, I... I loved your speech. Oh, thank you. Well, nice to have met you, Miss Turner. But I, I have to interview you. Uh, you what? For the high school paper. I'm editor-in-chief. Oh, I'll bet you've had a terribly interesting life. Uh, not very. Look, could we do this some other time? I have a date. A date? Oh, then you're not married. Uh, no. Oh, I knew you weren't. You just couldn't be. Oh, I've had some offers. Uh... In here, Mr. Newton. Yeah, well, don't you see, I... We can I... talk in here. Uh, yes, but I... Have you oh, ever well. been married? Uh, no, no. Well, have you ever been in love? Yes, I have. Tell me, what kind of paper does this school run? <laughs> oh, all the students read it. I'll bet they do. You probably have no idea what an unusual person you are. Now, I'm not unusual at all, I suppose, but I'm really much older than I look. Uh-huh. And I know what the artistic soul is like And how keenly it can suffer Oh, really? Uh... Did you have many ordeals before becoming a success? Uh, no, no, as a matter of fact it... I want you to think of me Not as a newspaper woman But as a... as a friend Oh, oh well, in that case Yes, I did suffer mm-hmm. When I was ten, my mother and father had a du- double suicide pact They made it <laughs> Yeah <laughs> I was sent to an orphanage. Some days they didn't beat me. Then one night I escaped. I used to steal. What did you steal? Crusts of bread and and things. Uh One day I stole a valise. There were paints and paintbrushes inside, so I began to paint. Yes? But they got me. I was sent to a reform school, but I escaped again. Go on. I fled to New York. A wealthy society matron saw my work, fell in love with me, and sent me to art school. The rest is uh, history. Oh, wonderful. How terribly wonderful. Yes, well, now if you'll excuse me, I I must rest. Goodbye, Miss Winchell. Turner, Susan Turner. Oh, Oh, remember what you told us in assembly about about painting one of us? Young America and everything? Uh, Yes. Well, do you think I'd make a good model, Mr. Nugent? Oh, you're not thinking of quitting the newspaper game. Well, my family wants me to go into Uh law. But my attitude is that one female judge in the family is enough. Uh, did you say your name's Turner? That's right. My sister's Judge Margaret Turner. Uh Uh-huh. Well, nice to have met the family. Goodbye. (laughs) But what about my posing? Uh, Oh, sure, sure. You'd make a good model sometime. Bye now. Like a knight. Like a knight striding away in shining armor. Well, Susan, what else did this knight in shining armor have to say? Oh, I don't know, but he's wonderful, Margaret. He's had to lie and cheat and steal to get somewhere in life. Mm, Well, that makes everything just dandy. What's the name of this Sir Galahad? Richard. Richard Nugent. Richard Nugent? Well, then you've heard of him. Heard of him? Why, just this morning... Margaret, have you ever thought of me as a model? Dickie wants me to pose for him. Well, isn't that not... Dickie? Now, now, don't be unreasonable. He's a very fine man. You don't know him at all. I know enough to advise you to forget all about him. Right now. Well, I don't need your advice. You're going to make me an old maid. Only until you're 18. 
Susan, where are you going? Upstairs. Well, you're, you're going out for dinner, aren't you? Well, Mr. Chamberlain hasn't called for me yet, and, and there's no reason for you to... He's here now, Margaret. Have a good time. Susan, wait. You are all right, aren't you? Oh, I'm fine. Just fine. Oh, good. Well, I'll be home early, dear. <laughs> Calm down, Tommy. We'll never find Susan carrying on like no, this. No, 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 Margaret. I'll handle everything. Uh, just when did the cook discover that she wasn't in the house? About an hour after we left. She went to call her for dinner and she wasn't in her room. Did you check the hospital? And the airport, railroad station, and bus terminal. Oh, Tommy, if anything's happened to Susan, I'll never forgive myself. I never should have quarreled with her. You quarreled with her? I told her she couldn't pose for Richard Nugent. Nugent? And she said she didn't need my advice. That she Nugent, didn't... for heaven's sakes, Margaret. Why didn't you mention Nugent before? Give me that phone. Oh, no. What are you can't mean that she... Oh, no. There's Nugent, Mr. Walters. And believe me, if a client ever needed a lawyer... All right, Dick. Tell me exactly what happened. Where were you last night when they finally let me use the telephone? Where were you? I had not anticipated you winding up in jail so soon after the last time. Mm. I have a life of my own, you know. Well, let's have the facts. Good. Well, I got home to my apartment last night. That much I know. And this girl was there. At least I think she was there. Well, I guess she was. I don't know. Judge Turner's sister. That's the one. The young one. How young? Too young. <laughs> uh, how did she get in your apartment? He let her in. The elevator boy. She told him she was posing for me. Nugent, why don't you tell me the truth? I am telling you the truth. Now, will you be quiet for a moment? That's what happened last night. Nobody would listen to me. Go on. All right. Thank you. I got home to my apartment, I took off my dinner coat, put on a robe, wanted to be comfortable, came inside, turned on the radio, opened a book, sat down to read the book, went up, popped this little girl. She'd been asleep on the sofa. Judge Turner's sister, go on. Before I can open my mouth, there's a banging on the door, everybody yelling, somebody busts in, everybody starts talking at once, then about 50 police... Did the girl explain why she was there? Yes. Yes, well, she tried to explain, but they wouldn't really let her explain. She kept trying to say she'd come up there to be a model or something. Did you or Maybe. did you not invite Judge Turner's sister to be a model? No. Well, in a roundabout way, maybe I did. She kept saying I told her I was going to paint her as young America. Did you tell her that? Oh, I told that to 500 little girls. Let's not go into that. Oh, no, no. <clears throat> You're also charged with hitting the assistant district attorney, Mr. Chamberlain. Yeah, I hit him. That's right. But at the time I hit him, I did not know he was the assistant district attorney. <laughs> if I had known he was the assistant district attorney... I would have hit him. He said some very bad things. Wouldn't give me a chance to explain. Kept pulling my arm. And that sister of hers. She was there too, Judge Turner. She's a mountain of ice, a gallon of poison, jumping at conclusions. Now control yourself, Nugent. You've got to remember coherently exactly what happened. Oh, sure, sure. You talk like this in front of a jury, you'll get 20 years. Well, I'd better get to work. Uh, coherently. Exactly. Coherently, exactly. You got another visitor, Mr. Nugent. Oh, yeah. This here is Dr. Beamish. I'm the court psychiatrist, Mr. Nugent. Yeah, well, come back in an hour. I'll be crazy by then. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm really here to help you. Now, the only thing you're suffering from is a severe case of being an innocent bystander. Tell me, what can they do to me if I kill a judge? <laughs> I understand how you feel. I'm aware that Judge Turner appears to be a very dominant woman. She happens to be my niece. Your niece? Fine, fine. Judge Turner is ready for you, Doctor. Oh, thank you, Melvin. Mm. 
Well, now, you just leave things in my hands, Mr. Nugent. I have a plan. I dare say you'll be surprised at the results. Dare say. Yes, sir. You just wait and see. Exactly, sir. So I just talked with him, Margaret. He seems like quite a nice fellow. Are you sure you were talking to the right man, Uncle Matt? Well, certainly about six feet, broad shoulders, blue eyes. Mr. Nugent has brown eyes. Oh. Well, it isn't my case. It's Judge Treadwell's. Well, I, uh, I hope Treadwell doesn't go too far. Susan's in love with Nugent, or thinks she is. And if they send him to prison on her account... Which is where he belongs. It will martyr him in Susan's eyes. And I guarantee the results will be tragic. Oh, that's absurd. You just don't understand, Susan. She's very level-headed. She's far above that sort of silliness. I'm sorry to bother you, Judge Turner, but this lady claims to be Nugent's mother. Susan! <laughs> Did you dig up that dress? And that black veil. Widow's weeds. I just wanted to talk to him. About the steel business, Your Honor. She baked him a sponge cake. This was in it. A hacksaw. Susan, this is ridiculous. I'm in love with him. Don't you realize that? If I lose him, life has no meaning. I love him. Well, Your Honor... You win, Uncle Matt. Then I suggest you arrange an informal hearing right away. Well, uh, Judge Treadwell has reviewed the facts, Mr. Nugent. And I have good news. Uh, you're going to hang me? <laughs> I'm afraid I'm the one who ought to be hanged. Oh, well, won't I sit down? Uh, please do. I believe you've met my uncle, Dr. Beamish. Oh, yes, indeed. This is Judge Treadwell. How do you do? And you already know Assistant District Attorney Chamberlain. Uh, nice to see you again, Nugent. Uh, sorry about the misunderstanding. Yeah, forget it. Just a little temper. That's very generous of you. I'm afraid I lost my temper, too, last night. I hope you'll pardon me. Uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> pardon me. <Yeah. clears throat> Well, I, uh, I guess I'm free to go then, huh? Thank you. Uh, just a moment. Uh, I'm a little worried about Susan. Mm, I was a little worried about her myself. Uh, it seems she's become quite enamored of you, Mr. Nugent, and we were wondering if you'd mind helping us by taking her out. Oh, I'd be glad to. Uh, taking her out? Where? Doing what? Being her beau until she gets over you. Dr. Beamish says she mustn't feel you're being martyred. Oh, he does, does he? Well, then let Dr. Beamish take her out. Let her get over him. <laughs> I'm not a judge, but I'll bet there's no law that says I have to go out with children. Now, now, we, we were just hoping you'd want to cooperate. Why should I? Because your attitude will have a decided bearing on the disposition of the other charges against you, if the district attorney wishes to press them. Press what? All I did was punch him in the nose. I... Oh, all right, all right. <clears throat> just what do I have to do? See, Susan, as often as we deem proper, Mr. Nugent. Mm. And as soon as your fatal fascination wears off, you're free to go on your way again. Well, what if it doesn't wear off? Oh, it will. Uh, oh. Uh. Mr. Nugent, I'm doing this against my better judgment. I would just as soon my sister were going out with an actor. Uh, uh, uh. uh Judge Turner simply means that... Uh... I've recommended you as a vital therapeutic measure. Oh, that's great. Recommended for children. Well, Mr. Nugent, yes or no? No, I still want to know what I've got to do. You'll start tonight. You'll take Susan to the high school basketball game. Me? Take Susan to a high school basket... What, in front of people? <laughs> well, Mr. Nugent? <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, it's a date. In a few moments, we'll bring you Act Two of The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer. Our guest tonight is Miss Susie Crandall, popular contract player at RKO. I understand your studio regards you as a real trooper, Susie, an actress who puts her best into every role. I consider that a real compliment, Mr. Keeley. It's when you're on location that you learn what trooping means. I'm thinking especially of the stars of RKO's new picture, The Big Steel. Oh, yes, Robert Mitchum and Jane Greer. The picture was filmed in Mexico, wasn't it? Yes, in the rugged mountain country between Veracruz and Mexico City. The story is full of thrilling action. It's all about a border gang and the theft of a U.S. Army payroll. That's primitive country down there. All the supplies would have to be brought in. Oh, yes. But the cast got along fine with the natives. They gave them American cigarettes and clothing. Some of the local bells worked in the big steel, you know. And Jane Greer made a big hit with them, all right. Can you guess how, Mr. Kennedy? Well, of course. Jane must have brought along a supply of a certain beauty soap. Right, Mr. Kennedy. She told me the local girls were just entranced with their gifts of Lux Toilet Soap. Why, naturally, Susie. Lux Toilet Soap is a winner wherever it's used. Besides, when they saw Jane's lovely Lux complexion, they had proof of what daily Lux Soap care can do. Yes, and a more beautiful complexion than Jane Greer's I can't imagine. Well, here in Hollywood, we know Lux Soap is a complexion care that works. Thank you, Miss Susie Crandall. Regular care with this fragrant white soap really does make skin softer, smoother. Skin specialists have proved it. In recent tests, three out of four complexions became lovelier in a short time. Why not try this fine product of Lever Brothers Company for your precious complexion? Remember, Lux Toilet Soap is the chosen beauty care of nine out of ten famous screen stars. Now, our producer, Mr. William Keeley. Act two of The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer, starring Cary Grant as Richard Nugent and Shirley Temple as Susan. Richard Nugent is innocent as the driven snow, but the fact that he's not in jail is due only to his anguished ascent to become Susan's beau until she wearies of him. Susan, of course, knows nothing of this arrangement. Susan's in love. Now more than ever, as she and Mr. Nugent watch the high school basketball game. Oh, good evening, Susan. Good evening. That's Mr. Mitwick, Dickie, the principal. Uh-huh. Geometry getting straightened out, Susan. Oh, yes, Mr. Mitwick. And who's this young man? Oh, I'm just... Uh... Ah, you must be a new boy. Well, we'll probably, probably be running into each other. I gave a lecture here on art. Oh, yes, 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 of course. Miss Beagle's pupil. Uh, excellent teacher. That's amazing. You know, we had a much better team last season. Our new center needs more experience. Oh, at least. His name's Jerry. He used to be a sort of, sort of a boyfriend of mine. What? You mean that fine-looking young man who smiled at you before, number seven? <laughs> oh, but he's just a child. You needn't be so jealous, Richard. Oh, looks like they're taking him out of the game. Oh, but he's a fine figure of a man, Susan. I'd certainly like to meet that number seven. That can be arranged. Hi, Susan. Well, that's a great game you're playing, Mr. Jerry White, Mr. Richard Nugent. How do you do? Usually my game is much better, Mr. Nugent. But lately I got personal troubles. It's too bad that when schools depend on their athletes, that certain athletes are selfishly concerned with their own problems instead of beating PB high. Well, uh, look, Mr. White, how about joining us for a drink... Uh, 
I mean for a soda after the game. <laughs> you really mean that? Certainly. Giasse. Thanks, Mr. Nugent. See you, Susie. I thought you were splendid tonight, Jerry. Splendid. No, he wasn't. Yes, he was. No, I wasn't. Say, Jerry, aren't you supposed to be in training? Just look at that. A double sweetheart flip. Sometimes a man just doesn't care. Well, I may as well level with you, Mr. Nugent. When I saw you tonight, my first instinct was to take a poke at you. Jerry! Then I said to myself, let's be civilized. This is life. And if Susan feels that way... It's all right with me. That's big of you, Jerry, and very generous. Dickie and I will always treasure your friendship. If I can ever do anything for either one of you, all you have to do is call me. Ooh. And if we can ever do anything for you, Jerry, all you have to do is ask. Oh, sure. Get in touch. Call me up. Bill, you know. Make contact. <clears throat> I, I guess it's goodbye, Jerry. I guess it is. Yeah, I guess it is. Well, so long, old man. Must you rush right on home, Richard? I mean, can't we just... Well, as a matter of fact, Susan, I want to talk to you. What about, dear? Uh, <laughs> Susan, it isn't becoming for you to call me dear. I don't think it's right. But why, darling? Oh. <clears throat> now, stop that and listen to me. Now, the basketball game was fun tonight, but it can't go on. Yes, I know. The season's over next week. No, 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 no. I mean, the whole thing can't go on. Everybody's getting the crazy idea that you're in love with me. I am. Susan, look at me. Look. I wouldn't say this to many people, but I'm old enough to be your father. You're so right, dear. Well, you've got to realize that this, this, this isn't proper for either of us. You're so right, dear. Well, it's not only going to... Whoops! Point step. Oh, thanks, thanks. Well, it's not only going to embarrass me, but it's going to embarrass you, too. Uh, Susan, you're not paying any attention to me. You're so right, dear. Well, good evening, Mr. Nugent. Uh, oh, well, good evening. Oh, that's a new dress. Like it? Oh, it's beautiful, Margaret. Too bad you had to go to that dreary party tonight with Mr. Chamberlain. Oh, it was a very nice party. Did you enjoy yourself? Oh, we had a simply sensational time. Well, you'd better turn in now. School tomorrow, you know. Yes, I know. Good night, Dickie. I, I'll just blow you a kiss. Oh, oh, oh thanks, thanks. <laughs> Happy dreams. She's still in a daze, isn't she? I don't know why. <laughs> you know, uh, that is a beautiful dress, and you look wonderful in it. Thank you. You said that gracefully. Perhaps as the result of practice. You said that ungraciously. Perhaps as the result of practice. I had that coming. Uh-huh. You've got a moment? Yes. You know, Judge Turner, <clears throat> when I was a kid, I had a habit of reading a lot of books my mother didn't want me to read. One day I found a book that had a very racy title. Oh, I kept on reading it for quite a long time. It was awfully dull. And then suddenly I discovered that my mother had stuck a philosophy book underneath that paper cover with the racy title. Well, that's one way of learning philosophy. Yeah. You know what else I learned? Never judge a book by its cover. All is not gold that glitters. Things and people may not be what they appear to be. Like you. I sat in judgment on a series of facts, Mr. Nugent, not on your character or biography. Ah, well. 
It's still a beautiful dress, and you do look wonderful in it. Mm. Well, we'll see you on Saturday, Mr. Nugent. You're going to take Susan to the picnic. Uh, picnic? The Parent Teachers Association Annual Picnic. <laughs> picnic. <laughs> uh, good night, Your Honor. Hi, Jerry. Oh, hello, Mr. Nugent. Calling to take Susan to the picnic, huh? Yeah, well, you know how it is, old man. But what are you doing sitting here in your car? I'm not welcome in the house. Well, Susan probably doesn't even know you're out here. She put me here, Mr. Nugent. Oh, well. It's not her fault, I guess. It's her granduncle, Judge Thaddeus. Have you met him yet? What, another uncle? And a judge? He's <laughs> going with you to the picnic. Oh, he's something fierce. I walked in, all I said was, Mellow greetings, Yuki dookie. Well, you almost blew a fuse. <laughs> well, what's wrong with that? Sounds okay to me. Uh, hey, uh, Jerry... How would you like to use my car? You kidding? Why, no. You drive my car to the picnic and let me borrow yours. Uh, does this thing run? Sure it runs. Oh, where's the key? Who needs a key? Oh, well. <laughs> well, here's my key, Jerry. Jiminy. Yeah. I don't look right, do I, Jerry? I mean to be taking a girl like Susan to a picnic. Well, you do look kind of formal, Mr. Nugent. Yeah, well, look, perhaps if I roll up the cuffs on my trousers, huh? Yeah, sure, and take off your tie, Mr. Nugent. Yeah, yeah, and this hat. That oh, is... I'd wear a hat, Mr. Nugent. Only mash it up. Give it the zoot root. Fine. Now, how's this? Sharp as a tack. <laughs> Boy, what a difference. Well, thanks, Jerry. See you at the picnic. Answer the door, Margaret. Who is it? Oh, just Mr. Nugent, Uncle Thaddeus. I'll get it. Who the devil's Mr. Nugent? Oh, he's older. He's come to take Susan to the picnic. Dickie! Hi, Mellow Greetings, Yuki Dookie. Ready, boot? Let's go! What the ding-dang blasted sort of talk is that? Oh, I don't know. Hey, you remind me of a man. What man? The man with the power. What power? The power of who do? Who do? You do. Do what? Remind me of a man. What man? The man with the power. <laughs> Good morning, Mr. Newton. Oh, greetings, greetings. Are you out of your mind? Huh? huh? What? What are you trying to do? I, I don't dig your check. What are you talking about? What are you... <laughs> What are you two whispering about? Oh, I'm sorry, Uncle Thaddeus. Hi, Richard. Hi, Uncle Matt. You going to the picnic, too? May I present my great-uncle, Judge Turner? Oh, well, how do you do, Judge? How do you do? <laughs> That's my hand, not a pump handle. Hey, <laughs> he's sharp. Hey, Uncle Thaddeus, you remind me of a man. What man? The man with the power. What power? The power of hoodoo. Hoodoo? Hoodoo. Do what? You remind me of a man. <laughs> a house. It's a sideshow at a circus. Mr. Nugent, Judge Turner is an associate justice of the state Supreme Court. Oh, good for you, Junior. That's better than working for a living, huh? <laughs> what, uh, uh, where's Tommy Chamberlain, Margaret? Uh, isn't Tommy Chamberlain calling for you? Oh, he's meeting us at the picnic, Uncle Matt. Then what's keeping us? Well, everybody ready? My hot rod's right at the curb. Now, come on, Uncle Thaddeus. Come on. <laughs> you remind me of a man. Who do no, you idiot. I'm supposed to say that. Dickie, your car, it's gone. Why, that's Jerry's car out there. Uh, well, it just looks like Jerry's you car. You mean to say that we're going in that... Oh, why that... not? It's a Voot 8. Voot 8? The eight more payments in his mind. <laughs> okay, Uncle Tad, just toss in your friend. Hot Voot to The athletic contests open to parents and children alike. First event, the sack race. Uh, you know, Uncle Matt, I used to be pretty good at these things when I was a kid. Well, what's the matter now? Beneath your dignity as assistant district attorney? Oh, just too old, Chamberlain. Too old? 
All right, I'll enter the race. That's the kind of spirit we want to see. How about you, Mr. Nugent? Right after lunch? Me? Don't be silly. Oh, too old, huh? To run a sack race? Well, there's nothing to it. You go right in there, Dickie, and show them. All right, Susan, I will. Just hold my coat and hat. Look at him, founded, blowing like a porpoise. You're some athlete, Mr. Nugent. I, I... It's not Dickie's fault. He was just... Tommy Chamberlain happens to be the better man, that's all. Uh, thank you, Margaret. Just because Mr. Chamberlain won the sack race and the potato and spoon race and the three-legged race doesn't prove a thing. Ladies and gentlemen, the main event of the afternoon, the spectacular obstacle race, the supreme test of skill, stamina, and endurance. Oh, Come on, Dickie. Get up off the grass. I can't pin your number on if you're lying down. Oh. Don't you think you've had enough for one day, Mr. Nugent? We've just begun to fight. Yeah, yeah, we've just begun to fight. Yo, Uncle Matt, you mind holding all these medals for me? I don't want to be handicapped with any excess weight. Everybody get ready. I just know you can win this time, Dickie. Sure, sure. You've got to win me that cup. Uh, don't worry, Susan. I'll be glad to give you the cup. I'm beginning to worry about him. Him? Nugent? I just hope he wins. Uh, for Susan's sake. Oh. Well, let's walk down to the finish line. Susan, where are you going? I'll be right back. I just want to talk to Jerry. going to carry me up there. <laughs> well, you certainly surprised us, Mr. Newton. Uh, uh, what happened to Chamberlain? I don't know. Strange he should drop out of the race so suddenly. Where's Susan? Oh, well, let's get to the grandstand. Well, Susan, I did what you asked me to do. Oh, thanks a lot, Jerry, for letting Dickie win. It wasn't easy, Susan. A few of us tackled Mr. Chamberlain in the creek and held him underwater. Oh. <laughs> well, I must say, all the boys cooperated just fine. You owe him 75 cents apiece. If it was for anyone but you, that I charged a dollar. I'll pay you on Saturday. Well, I don't want any money. Some things just can't be bought. You know, Jerry, at times, you're really very nice. And it gives me great pleasure to present this beautiful cup to that great athlete and winner of the feature event, Mr. Richard Nugent. <laughs> well, I... I... I don't quite know what happened to me, but I guess I owe it all to uh, clean living, the proper outlook, and the uh, help of my friends. No, it's not possible. I'm seeing things. Margaret, what in the world? He's wearing armor. Mr. Newton, he's... He's like a knife in shining armor. Why, Margaret Turner... There was quite a picnic. Quite a picnic. Where, Susan? Upstairs. I'm making a rest for a while if she's going to the dance tonight. Dance? Uh, with uh, Mr. Nugent? Well, yes. Uh, uh, speaking of Mr. Nugent, that was that was a very odd occurrence, Uncle Matt. I mean, there in the grandstand. Seeing Richard Nugent in a suit of shining armor? I feel absolutely ridiculous. No optical illusions have been known. Obviously, it was a combination of the heat, too hurried lunch, and all the excitement. Well, of course. It's a known fact Merely that... a matter of my thinking that I saw Mr. Nugent as Susan sees him. You understand? Oh, same things happened to me a hundred times. 
Only I always see Betty Grable. Oh. Well, it, it's occurred to me that I... Well, Mr. Nugent has been very sweet about Susan, and I don't think we ought to embarrass him any longer. But what if Susan... Oh, I'm sure she'll get over it. I, I'd like to talk it over with him, as a matter of fact. Well, I think that's... But a... not here. Oh, naturally not here, but... And that... certainly not in his apartment. Oh, no, of course not. Some but... public place. Sophisticated and, uh... Well, we could talk things over. Well, that's very sensible, and I... Oh, thank you, Uncle Matt. Your talking to me has cleared things up considerably. Not at all. Not at all. Now, where's the telephone? You've had it in your hand ever since you started... Oh. <laughs> yeah, so I have. Hello. Who? Uh, oh, yes, Your Honor. Uh, anything wrong with Susan? Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. What? You? <clears throat> well, I'd be delighted. Uh, where we meet? Oh, not at the house, huh? Well, uh, how about here? Uh, oh, no, 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 naturally. <laughs> well, uh, just name the place. We can celebrate my victory this afternoon. No, I'm not too tired to dance. Do you dance? I... Uh, I mean, uh, okay, well, uh, how about the TikTok club? Fine, nine o'clock, sure, okay. Mm-hmm. We pause now for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. In a few moments, we'll return with the third act of The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer. And now, here's our Hollywood reporter, Libby Collins. I hear you have some special news tonight, Libby. It's about Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's new Technicolor comedy, Mr. Keeley, Neptune's Daughter. A prize package of laughter, music, and romance. And a cast that does full justice to its clever comedy and catchy tunes. That lovable clown, Red Skelton, is up to his usual tricks, and he's a panic. Yes, and Esther Williams is gorgeous. She swims, she romances, and my, my Libby, how she can wear those stunning bathing suits. And don't forget that lovely Lux complexion of hers, Mr. Keeley. No wonder making love to Esther comes naturally to handsome Ricardo Montalban. The irrepressible Betty Garrett makes a wonderful partner for Red. All in all, it's a picture worthy of Metro-Golden-Mare's 25th anniversary. And Lux Toilet Soap, too, is celebrating its 25th anniversary. Offering Lux girls everywhere a lovely silver scatter pin inspired by Esther Williams. It's called the Neptune's Daughter Scatter Pin. And style-conscious women are going to love it. You can bet they are, Libby. The design is beautiful. Charming little mermaid wrought in sterling silver. The pin has a strong safety clasp, too. It's a perfect accessory to wear on suits, dresses, and handbags. Here's how to get your Neptune's Daughter pin. Send in two wrappers from Lux Toilet Soap, regular or bath size, and 35 cents in coin to Lux Toilet Soap, Post Office Box 16, New York 8, New York. Your sterling silver pin will come to you promptly. I'll repeat the address. Lux Toilet Soap, Post Office Box 16, New York 8, New York. Send in two Lux Toilet Soap wrappers and 35 cents in coin. If you could buy this pin at retail, it would cost a dollar and a half. 
This offer is good only in continental United States, Alaska, and Hawaii, and subject to applicable state or local regulations. The offer expires September 1st, 1949. Send for your sterling silver pin soon. Now, our producer, Mr. William Keeley. The curtain rises on the third act of The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer, starring Cary Grant as Richard Nugent and Shirley Temple as Susan. Well, it's a few hours later, and Judge Margaret Turner, looking entrancingly unlike a head of a municipal court, is dancing with Richard Nugent in the TikTok nightclub. Mr. Nugent is much impressed. You know, uh, my father was a bachelor. Really? <laughs> Wait till I finish. He was a bachelor until way into his 30s. He always said he'd know who he was going to marry the moment he saw her. Then he met my mother, he put his arms around her, and that was it. Just the way she felt in his arms did the trick. Oh, that's a very romantic story. Yeah. Well, they were happy all their lives. Apparently had nothing in common. She was a piano teacher and he was a, a flag decorator. Now, my father courted mother all through high school, college, and law school. Fourteen years after they met, they decided it was time to get married. They had a lot in common. They were both attorneys. You feel nice in my arms. I... I imagine that if mother and father hadn't had so much in common, they needn't have waited 14 years. It, it could have happened suddenly. Why, why they might even... Uh, <clears throat> oh, oh, hello, Agnes. Now, now, stay right where you are. Uh, you remember Agnes. I do? Yeah. Well, aren't you going to congratulate me? It's my birthday. Well, uh, congratulations. And here's... Joey. Oh. How are you, Mr. Nugent? Oh, yeah, Joey. <laughs> Joey, right, sure. The uh, vampire club, the night that Agnes and Florence. Yeah, yeah, and it all winds up with you clipping me on the chin. Uh, hey, your uh, lady friend. Oh, yes, well, this is... Uh... I know you. And now, don't tell me, uh, at Dickie's apartment? No, this is Judge Turner. Oh, of course. You two got to be friends, huh? Well, leave it to Dickie. <clears throat> well, uh, happy birthday, Let's go back to the table. Oh, I'm sure you didn't know she was going to be here. Uh-huh. Are you sure you're sure that I didn't know? Oh, I've given up jumping to conclusions, Mr. Newton. Cigar, cigarette. Dickie, baby! Oh, uh, oh hello, Ginger. Uh, uh, no, thanks, no. Uh, no? no. Oh, all right, then. Catch you later, maybe, huh? <laughs> She's a cute kid. I, I did a magazine cover of her once. Very cute. Well, suppose we try the champagne. I hope it's... Susan! I do not intend to create a scene. What are you doing here? You ought to be ashamed of yourselves. Uh, another chair, Alex. Yes, Mr. Newton. I'm not too young to be deceived by such treachery. Sit down, Susan. What do you have to drink? Lemonade. But I don't intend to stay. Oh, and some, some chocolate ice cream. You told me that Dickie was sick, that he was so exhausted from winning the obstacle race that he just She did? Anyway, after you left, I went to Dickie's apartment. The elevator boy told me where he went. I demand an explanation from both of you. Oh, Dickie, Joey wants to buy you and the budget, a, a judge a birthday drink on well, him. Well, at the moment, Agnes. It'll only take a minute, just time enough to drink it down. Hey, you, a couple of more chairs. Oh, oh who's this? I don't believe we're acquainted. Oh, forgive me. This is Miss Susan Turner. Huh? Your daughter, huh, Judge? Uh, <laughs> 
sister, her older sister. I mean, uh, Margaret's sister. Ah, well, you look enough alike to be mother and daughter. Sisters sometimes look alike, too. I hate my sister. Hey, that's a real cute hat you got on, honey. And I don't intend to take it off. I didn't ask you should take it off. Hey, waiter, another round. Well, good evening. Jerry! Well, hello, Jerry. Glad to see you. I doubt if anyone's glad to see me. You were not invited here, Mr. White. Jerry, I'd like you to meet Agnes and Joey. He's cute. Hi. I suppose you're wondering how I got here. Well, if Susan isn't, I am. It's getting to be quite a party. Ah, ah, ah. You're jumping again. Susan, I went to see you because I just got word I'm being drafted. I went to the house and you were gone. I went to Mr. Nugent's apartment. They told me that... Yeah, we know the rest of it, Jerry. Well, you don't have to make such a big thing about it. After all, the war is over. Well, I know it's over. But guns go off by accident sometimes. Fellow could trip on a bayonet. Yeah, well, I know just how you feel, Jerry. Going away, perhaps not seeing your loved ones for, oh, a couple of years. You're a fine boy, Jerry. And a good friend. Perhaps Mr. Nugent doesn't know just how good. Oh, you don't have to tell me anything about Jerry. Maybe I could tell you a few things, like how he made sure this afternoon that you won that race. Well, sir, he what? Hey, hey, the kid's a jockey, Agnes. What'd the horse pay? It's really doesn't Susan, uh, Susan, what are you talking about? You shouldn't have said that, Susan. Well, a woman scorned is a fury. Hey, hey, uh, you drinking, bub? I'll just have an eggnog no. with two eggs. Now, wait a minute. Now, about this afternoon, just... Hey, waiter, bring the boy an eggnog uh, now, with two eggs. Uh, isn't that amazing? <laughs> Jerry, what did you have to do with my winning that race? Well, gee, Mr. He Nugent, only I... did it because he knew how much I loved you. Susan, I forbid this kind of talk. Good and evening, I said... Margaret. Well, life's very complicated. Hello, Tommy. Oh, sit down, Mr. Chamberlain. Do sit down. Well, I, I suppose you're wondering how I got here, Margaret. I went to your house. Now, let me tell you, let me tell you. You went to Margaret's, found that she'd gone. You were suspicious that she'd gone out with me, so you went up to my apartment, the elevator... Hey, bus. who is this guy? No, you know, I don't like him. My name is Chamberlain. Hello. Hello. How do you do? Hey, get him. How do you do? Of course you know what you're doing, Margaret. It might interest you to know do that Do you this... know what you are? You're a regular blackbeard. Bluebeard, dear. Well, a rose by any color still... Oh, now everybody's too excited. No, no, no one's excited. Margaret, I want you to know that only this afternoon, this man told me he is madly in love with Susan. Oh, Dickie, did you, darling? Well, I, I did, yes, but I was only kidding. I don't like your kidding, Susan, for any reason. You drink your eggnog. Now, look, <laughs> we're in public... And if we must discuss... Dickie, you've got to tell me once and for all. Do you love me? Susan, I think you're a very sweet child, but I can't honestly say that I love you. You no. deceived her. And after she spent $4.50 to make sure you won that race... Well, that's too bad. You can have the cup back. Yep. You mean, you mean that victory of Nugent's was a, a frame-up? I'm going to get out of here. So am I. I've had enough of this and enough of you, Mr. Nugent. Everywhere you go, you attract trouble. If I were so disposed, I could make a lot of trouble for you, my friend. And I'm getting so disposed. You may be a regular guy, Miss Nugent, but I don't know. I came to this table simply to buy you a birthday drink, and you've ruined my birthday. You've ruined it. Come on, Joey. Let him pay for the drink. <laughs> I'd punch you right in the nose, Nugent. I wasn't afraid you'd bust my jaw. <laughs> Mr. Nugent. Now, go on, Alex. Just say it. I just want to say I'm awfully sorry, Mr. Nugent. Would there be anything else? For instance. And I just want you to know, Margaret, that I'm leaving home. My own sister stealing the man I love. Susan, you're not being fair. 
the other woman. Susan. It's not like that at all. I'm old enough to fight for my happiness. I saw him first. This is all your fault, Uncle Matt. You deliberately told Susan to come to that nightclub. He certainly did not. It was all my own idea. That's beside the point. Now you're both hysterical. If I want to be hysterical, I can. Susan, I would like to talk to you. I have nothing to say. I will not issue a statement of any kind at this time. Susan, I'm still strong enough to take you over my knee and give you the lamb basting I sincerely believe you deserve. You wouldn't dare. Just march to your room. Margaret. Come in, dear. Margaret, I've just had a long talk with Uncle Matt. Oh? And I see things much more clearly. After all, Richard is too old for me. Jeepers, when I'm 42, he'll be 60. I see. Anyway... Jerry's going to look awfully handsome in his uniform, don't you think? So I've decided to renounce Richard for Jerry. Oh, that's very sensible of you, dear. And now that you have a clear field, I think you ought to patch things up. I've acted very childishly, and I'm sorry. Susan, if I had a million more sisters, I'd want them all exactly like you. <laughs> You're just saying that because I'm so sklonklish. Good night, Margaret. Good night, Susan. You know, in many ways... I think this has made a bigger woman of me. So Susan apologized, eh? Well, Margaret, suppose we have a little talk about emotions. Uncle Matt, I'm not interested in any more of your psychological mumbo-jumbo about emotions. I deal in facts, and the conclusions I draw from the facts are depressing. Well, depressing or not, you're in love with Richard Nugent. Yes, well, I'll discuss that with you in the morning. Good night, Uncle Matt. Good morning, Mr. Nugent. Hmm? Oh, well, Dr. Beamish, how did you get in here? The door was closed, so I opened it and came in. Well, you can open it again and go right out. You and Margaret are having trouble. None of your business. Oh, you're packing, eh? And airplane tickets. Where are you going? Mm, Africa. Mm, that's pretty far away, isn't it? Now, let's look at the facts. First of all, you're in love with Margaret. Facts. I'm an artist. I deal in emotions, and my emotions tell me to go to Africa. What do your emotions tell you? Well, I've got a plan. Well, I've had enough of your plans and your whole family. I was a carefree fellow before I met up with you. I've, I've been in nothing but trouble ever since. I'm going to be a carefree fellow again. Now, buzz off. Very well. Oh, uh, if you should run across a man named Smedley while you're in Africa, give him my regards, will you? He's a cousin of ours. Hmm. Another judge? Another judge, no doubt. Yes, as a matter of fact, he is. Good day, Mr. Nugent. Mm. Beautiful morning, Margaret. Fine flying weather. I can't tell you how delighted I am you're going away for a while. Best thing in the world for you. Turn around, Uncle Matt. I've changed my mind. I want to go home. Oh, but that, that's silly. It's silly that I'm running away. All because of Richard Nugent. Now, look, for the time being, just do what your Uncle Matt tells you. Why? You haven't been doing so good lately. Well, I merely suggested that a little plane oh, trip... Oh, all right. Drive on to the airport. Porter, sir, take your baggage. Oh, oh yes, yes. Uh, this baggage belongs to Miss Turner. She's at the reservation window picking up a ticket. Miss Turner, yes. Sir. Dr. Beamish, where is she? Where's Mark? Oh, hello, Chamberlain. I, uh... I'm looking for her myself. She's leaving? Taking a plane? Yes, I'm afraid she is. Oh, this is all Nugent's fault. If I see him again, he'll get ten years. I've got a bench warrant out for his arrest. Now, if you'll take my I don't advice, want I... your advice. Now, where's Margaret? 
Well, she should be here. Oh, why don't you watch that side entrance over there, and I'll keep my eyes open here. Oh, very well. Now, just let me know the instant she arrives. Oh, uh, officer. Officer, could I talk to you a moment? Yes, sir. I'm Dr. Beamy, city psychiatrist. Oh, sure. Any trouble, Doc? That fellow pacing up and down at the side entrance there. Him? What's his trouble, Doc? He thinks he's the assistant district attorney. He likes to go around arresting people. Oh, one of those guys, huh? Well, I'll try to handle him, but I wanted you to know, just in case. Don't worry, Doc. I'll be around. Dr. Beebe! Dr. Beebe! Yes, I'm coming, I'm coming. He's here. Nugent's here. I just saw him. He's out there by the planes. Well, come on, let's get him. I think you're making a big mistake. Oh, no, I'm not. Trying to leave town. <laughs> I'll show him. Officer, I want you to arrest someone. Now, you don't want to go around arresting nice people. I... Do you know who you're talking to? I'm the assistant district attorney. Sure you are. Sure. Hey, Dr. Beamish, tell him who I am. Oh, yes, officer. He's the assistant district attorney. Well, ain't that nice. You, you stupid blockhead. Well, I'll do it myself. Beamish, get his number. Uh, yes, I'll get a pencil. I'll be right back. Let's go, bud. Yeah, well, where are you taking me? Let go of me. Dr. Beamish! Passengers for flight seven now boarding at gate two. Passengers for flight seven now boarding at gate two. Name, please. Arthur Ames. Oh, step right aboard, Mr. Ames. Name, please. Nugent. Richard New... Something wrong, Mr. Nugent? Uh, well, there's someone in the plane. Oh, there's several people in the plane. Uh, that's not what I mean. What I mean is... <laughs> Just step aboard, Mr. Nugent. Name, please. Uh, hello? Uh, hello? Well, um... Well, uh... You remind me of a man. What man? The man with the power. What power? The power of hoodoo. Hoodoo? You do. Do what? Remind me of a man. What man? The man with the power. What power? Give up. Give up? Shall I fasten your safety belt or will you feel safer hanging on to me, huh? (laughs) And that was Cary Grant and Shirley Temple in the Lux Radio Theatre's version of The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer. Wonderful. Right, before I rush away, let's first announce the winner of the Falcon competition, shall we? I have four Falcon films starring Tom Conway to give away, including The Falcon in Danger, The Falcon Strikes Back, The Falcon's Adventure, and The Falcon's Alibi. All you had to do was like and retweet on Twitter, or like and share on Facebook, and from the dozens of entries, I plucked the name... Harriet Hurdley Lees, congratulations to you. Just drop me an email at adam at attaboyclarence.com with your postal address, and I'll get these out to you. Thank you all for entering more competitions coming soon. And before I sign out properly, let's just take a trip back to find out who that Hollywood legend was, shall we? All together now. One, two, three. Betty Davis. Davis. Of course, it was Betty Davis. You can't disguise that voice. In actual fact, she wasn't disguising it all that much, even though it sounded like she was. She'd actually ruined her throat by giving so many public addresses on the promotional circuit for her current film at the time, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Well, it just remains for me to say thank you once again for joining me. Remember, if you'd like bonus listening, then the patron-only bonus show will be out in the next day or two with two more classic movie reviews. The next movie commentary will also be out in the next week or so for all you patrons who've signed up for that. And the ebook version of The Adventures of Alfred Hitchcock, the whole colossal thing, 
and will also be winging its way to patrons over the next fortnight. It is huge and will be exclusive to patrons only. If you'd like to sign up to support the show and receive these bonuses, then listen on to the end of this show to find out how. For now, though, thank you so much for tuning in. It is such a pleasure to spend some time chatting movies with you. I will be back very soon. But until then, take very good care of yourselves. And bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and e-books, and every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts.